everyone and welcome to the Hi Hat Film Podcast, a comical and critical look at the world of film. With me, your host Michael Clancy, and as Jason Derulo once said, I'm solo, I'm flying solo, I'm flying solo, I'm flying solo, and sadly not joined this week or for the foreseeable future with my dear friend and close colleague, Mr. Nick Murray. No, a bitter legal dispute has meant that we have split ways once again in the traditional format of the show involving our weekly theme top fives in the Hi-Hat DVD club. It's going to be put on a hiatus for the foreseeable future as we look to explore a new and exciting direction for the Hi-Hat film podcast. And it's going to be onwards and upwards as we branch out into new and exciting waters. And I'm very, very excited to announce the opening of a brand new wing of the Hi-Hat Movie Hall of Fame. It's the Hi-Hat Hall of Fame. It's an exciting new feature here on the show, which is allowing our loyal Hi-Hatters a, a voice to be heard on the show. Every week, one of our listeners is going to be joining me on the podcast and given a chance to plead their case for a film that they absolutely love to be inducted into the illustrious Hi-Hat Hall of Fame. I'm really excited I'll get to sit down and have a talk with a lot of my listeners about films that are really, really close to them. But of course, it's not just about a film that you love on a personal level, but we're looking for films that have made a significant impact on the world of cinema or to a specific genre, or even some a film that has uh, made its mark in pop culture around the world as well. So the criteria is wide and vast. We'll be accepting films from any genre, any era, any nationality. If you want to come on and plead your case over why a film should be included in the illustrious and highly decorated Hi-Hat Hall of Fame, now is your chance to get involved with that. And that's what the show is going to be looking like in the weeks to come. I'm very excited about being able to sit down with that, some of my hi-hatters and talk about films that mean a lot to them. And, well, it's only fitting that to mark this momentous occasion, we are going to induct our very first film into the Hall of Fame. And it's my own personal choice. So without further ado, and with a massive amount of pride, I can confirm that the first film to be inducted into the Hi-Hat Hall of Fame is going to be the Coen Brothers classic, The Big Lebowski. Wait, wait let, me, let me explain something to you. Um, I am not Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude. You know, uh, that or uh, his dudeness or uh, Duder or, uh, you know, El Duderino, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. Are you employed, Mr. Lebowski? Ah! Employed? You like sex, Mr. Lebowski? Is this your only ID? Ow! You got the wrong guy. I'm the dude. Your name's Lebowski, Lebowski. Jeff Lebowski, the other Lebowski, the millionaire. I received this ransom note this morning. This is the bummer, man. They want you to take the money and act his courier. Why me, man? What the hell is this? My dirty undies, dude. The whites. Let's take that hell! Why should we settle for 20 grand when we can keep the entire million? I know you're mixed up in all this. Playing one side against the other in bed with everybody. Blow them. Huh? Fabulous stuff. What? Who's sitting on a million dollars? We want some money. Ah! Sitting in the trunk of our car. Where's my damn money? Say, dude, where is your car? So as many of the listeners will know, this is my 
favourite film of all time, and I'm not going to go into too many details as to why I'm including it into my hi-hat hall of fame today. And apart from anything else, you don't really need to know any other reason other than, well, it's my podcast and I can put in my favourite film if I bloody well want to. But let me just touch on it for the heck of it. So you've got the Coen brothers taking this slice of neo-noir, as it were, and you take this bum, this laziest man in California and possibly the world, Jeffrey the Dude Lebowski, and he's dropped into this world of half-hearted kidnappings and betrayal and rug urination, and he finds himself completely out of his depth in a world that doesn't really matter in the first place. And along for the ride, of course, he does have his Vietnam vet, gun-toting, recently converted Jewish friend Walter Subject, played in a career-best performance here by John Goodman, as well as that, some many other fine performances from the likes of Steve Buscemi, who plays the hapless Donnie, who's a fine bowler, but is treated very, very badly by his uh, so-called friend Walter, and also the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman. So apart from fantastic performances, absolutely hilarious film. This is a film that I have friendships based on the instant quotability factor of this. One of those films that you just want to quote over and over and over again. And besides my own personal feelings to it, clearly I'm not alone on this, because it's a film that has been embraced by by the sort of outskirts of popular culture, and it's a film that every year inspires people from across the great nation of America to don their bathrobes, to drink white Russians, to bowl a few frames of bowling at the now legendary Lebowski Fest, which happened many times a year in the United States. So... Apart from anything else, this is a film that has just rooted itself into the consciousness across America and beyond. So, if for no other reason, that is why the first inductee to the Hi-Hat Movie Hall of Fame, I'm delighted to say, is The Big Lebowski. A big tip of the Hi-Hat to the Coen brothers, to Jeff Bridges, to John Goodman, and to everybody else who helped contribute to this absolute legend of a movie. The man in the black pajamas, dude. Worthy fucking adversary. Who's in pajamas, Walter? Shut the fuck up, Donnie. So we've had my inductee. We've had my very first induction to the Hi-Hat Movie Hall of Fame. I don't want to induct anymore. I want to turn it over to the people. This is going to be a podcast of the people, of the listeners. And without further ado, I'm going to turn it over for our first Hi-Hatter to submit their case to a film they love to see if that can make it into an entry to the Hi-Hat Hall of Fame. Well, it is a momentous day here at Hi-Hat Headquarters, uh, out with the old style of theme top fives and DVD clubs, and in with the new exciting wing of our Hi-Hat Hall of Fame, and as you've just heard, our first entry into the Hi-Hat Hall of Fame was my, my own one which I submitted, which was The Big Lebowski, which is taking pride in place in the Hall of Fame. But what will be joining it? What will be the first film to go in? Well, we've to decide the second film to be inducted, I've turned it over to one of our loyal hi-hatters who is here to make a case for one of their favourite films. So, without further ado, James Tarrant, welcome to the show. Hi, welcome. Thanks for having me. Good to have you on. And you are going to be making a case for the 1997 film Princess Mononoke. In a time when gods walk the earth, an epic battle rages between the encroaching civilization of man and the gods of the forest. When the forest has been cleared and the wolves wiped out, this place will be the richest land in the world. 
It's a war which threatens to unbalance the forces of nature. It will be a battle the humans will never forget. Now, the fate of the world rests on the courage of one fearless princess. I'm not afraid to die, and I would do anything to get the humans out of here. And one brave warrior. You fight like a demon, boy. Like something possessed. What exactly are you here for? To see with eyes unclouded by hate. Now watch closely, everyone. I'm going to show you how to kill a god. Fire! Okay, now this is a film that has an 8.5 rating on the IMDb, ranked by IMDb users. It's a film that has got a 93% positive review rate on Rotten Tomatoes, with a 94% audience approval. So, lots of people out there like this film. There's lots of fans. The pressure is on you to convince me why this film should go into the Hall of Fame. And I am feeling that pressure right now. Yeah? Are you world, up for the challenge? world is on my shoulders. I'm going to crush it. There is literally a nation of Japanese people that are rooting for you right now. Yes. But before we can even get to that, James, we have to establish your credentials of whether you're even worthy to submit a film for consideration. Okay? Oh, man. So we're going to go for a quick fire round. I'm going to fire some questions at you just to see if you are indeed worthy. And I might fire some answers back at you. Well. We can only hope. You're going to have to. Yes. All right. First up, Brad Pitt or George Clooney? Brad Pitt. No questions. 2D or 3D? 3D. Interesting. Professor Charles oh, Xavier oh, or oh. Magneto? Um, Magneto. Mm-hmm. Pixar or DreamWorks? Pixar. Yeah, it's got to be. Hunger Games or Twilight? Oh, man. Hunger Games. Ants or A Bug's Life? Bug's Life. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Trek. Horror films or sci-fi? Sci-fi. Subtitles or dubbing? Subtitles. Sequels, prequels, remakes, or reboots? Prequels. Prequels. Really? Going for it. Why prequels? Because, you know, it's just like... You like the backstory? I like the backstory. You know, you really get to know those characters, and it's just different. All right. Okay. Um, some interesting answers there. 3D instead of 2D. That I honestly, is controversial. Can we talk about that for a second? Well, okay. I was in my head a little bit, and I was like, wait. C2. <laughs> I should buy that 2D. Well, you went with your gut. I went with my gut. And it was the wrong answer, but we will soldier on anyway. <laughs> so Hopefully. Yes. So, Princess Mononoke. I'm going to give you the fairly unfavorable task of describing the plot for us now. Uh, so Princess Monoyuki was kind of about a young prince named Prince Akshitaka who um, is from a very small village that's kind of in the middle of nowhere, very hidden, very reclusive. And um, near the beginning of the movie, he gets um, set with a terrible curse because of the fact that he saved his village. And his village reluctantly kind of kicks him out and he must seek answers try to find the um, cure for his curse. And uh, while on that journey, he meets um, some very interesting characters. There's no, no one that's like evil or good. They're just uh, people living life. And um, he really starts to, uh, gets out of that ignorance, that naivety, and uh, really meets the world. So he's on a quest, and it's, it's fair to say we can give plot spoilers and whatnot. And he, he stumbles across this iron town. Yes, he stumbles across this iron town where he meets um, some people who are basically battling nature. Not, again, not evil people, just people out to make sure that they can eat food. Then he meets this uh, woman named Lady Abushi, where mm-hmm. uh, she's a very powerful woman. And uh, she's literally battling the gods in a way. Um, so she's trying to get the iron in this uh, town called Iron Town. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, but to do that, she has to chop down trees, which is making nature, making the gods themselves angry. And then you get the other side of the coin, where um, the forest is literally fighting back at the Iron Town. You meet some really interesting um, characters. You meet Princess Monwiki, the Tala character, who is a uh, wolf princess. She's a young woman who's raised by wolves, three wolves. Then you meet uh, the boars, who are a um, aggressive type of beast. They're trying to fight for their village. I mean, their forest in a way, their home, their life. And then you meet a very um, powerful deer god, mm. who um, is kind of what the movie's about in a way. He's a, he seems to be the sort of all-encompassing power of the forest. Yeah, just uh, not good or evil again, just really life or death, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just nature itself, really. And uh, Ashitaka finds himself kind of caught up in this uh, battle between Lady Eboshi's kind of progress and industrialism of the forest and these forest-dwelling creatures. Yes, that's exactly right. Like, so you have the Iron Town, who on first view you might think they're the evil people because mm-hmm. they're trying to destroy nature. But if you look at it, they're just trying to eat food, trying to find a safe place to live. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really, it's really vague. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. like there's no writer, uh, no, there's no Nazis in this movie. Yeah, bombing towns. There's just people who are not necessarily even out for themselves, but just out for their shared interests. There's a blurred line to it, which I, I really liked because this lady Eboshi. She's really cold and she's really hard. She, like she, she's not sentimental. She doesn't really believe in the the power of the gods and whatnot. And she's all about the enhancement. But she's motivated by good. She wants yeah. to do good by her people. And when uh, Ashitaka visits the town, there's a lot of people that she's helped. Yeah. And I, I find I find that dynamic really good because while for a lot of the film she is kind of depicted as this evil person, evil people don't always think that they're doing wrong. Or they're the evil ones, they think that their motivations are correct. And I think that that makes her a really interesting villain. Well, I'm doing air quotes for the villain. Yeah, the fact that Lady Obi, um, well, she's, she's killing lives, but at the same time, she's saving her people's lives. Mm-hmm. She's uh, creating a comfortable home at the expense of others, that's still benefiting her people. So it's really, it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So we talked about the blurred lines a little bit, and you've given a, an idea of the film. Let's kind of get into it because. When I pitched this idea to you, this was the film we wanted to talk about. So, why do you love this movie? Why do I love this movie? It's kind of weird because it's actually about that vagueness of it, like that, um, the blurred lines of it, because it was the first movie I think I've ever watched with that, where there was no bad guy, there was no good guy, there was just people. Mm-hmm. And um, I was really taken back at that notion when I, was, uh, when I first seen it. It was, uh, it was shocking. It was, uh, it was new, it was appealing. And um, it makes you think, like, it's not something you watch on a Saturday night and forget about it in 12 hours. Mm-hmm. I've, uh, I've been thinking about this movie for the last 12 years of my life. So <laughs> so you saw it at a young age? I saw it at a very young age, yeah. yeah. Uh, do you remember specifically the first time you saw it? Yeah, I do because uh, so my dad used to rent movies for us um, all the time. Mm-hmm. They're always terrible, terrible movies. Like the worst movies you can imagine, like Air Bud. Right. Um, I remember one movie had uh, a bunch of dogs that got. Um, caught on hot air balloon, mm-hmm. like just some of the worst trash. Oh, the classic, yeah, classic. Hot air dog. Yeah. And sure. they're all bad. And then for some reason, one day he comes home from Blockbuster, you know, video store, and mm-hmm. um, he has Princess Monomuki. I'm like, what is this? I'm never at this point. I don't even think I've seen an animated movie yet. I'm about like nine, ten at, mm-hmm. the, at the oldest. 
my entire family sits down, we watch it, and like within the first ten minutes, you got a uh, you got your hero find a demon boy. Yeah, like what is the gorgeous movie immediately? Yeah. That, and the the opening really does strike strike yeah. me because you're right in the thick of it right away. Yeah. You've got this giant like possessed boar bearing down on, and it's really exciting. It's very very well done. The animation is really crisp, absolutely gorgeous. Um, there's no time to explain anything. Like you're thrust into a story that's kind mm. of already taking place, mm. and it's up to you to uh, either catch up or get left behind. Yeah. And did your dad know what he was bringing you? Did he just think, oh, he saw like. He saw the box and thought, oh, this is just a cartoon. Kids like cartoons. I'll, I'll, I'll show this. Or did, had he heard about it and he thought, this is really going to mess with them? I doubt he probably had heard of it. He wasn't that type of guy. But, okay. um, like, it's crazy because also in the first, I think it's like 20 minutes, you, uh, our main hero, um, Mr. Ashitaka, mm-hmm. he, uh, he comes upon some samurais. You know, he just notches his arrow, mm-hmm. shoots his arrow, and you see some dude's um, hands fly off. And immediately I was like, it's probably my favorite movie of all time at this point, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, it, I was really, yeah. really struck by the, the violence in it as well because, it, you know, animation is kind of it, considered to be geared towards children even though, you know, yeah. there are certainly lots of adult-themed animation out there now. And I just, I really enjoyed, like, the, the kind of violence factor too. And I was shocked to learn, I was doing some research on it and I couldn't find, I don't think it's rated by the, what's the American one, the MPF? Uh, NPR? No, that's... <laughs> The American Federation for Film Ratings, I don't think they gave it a rating, but you'll, you might be interested to know that in the UK, the, the BBFC gave this a rating of a PG, parental guidance, so it was essentially fine for everyone, with the parents might want to, you know, take, take interest before they show it to the younger kids, but I was surprised at that. Apparently, Canada, mm-hmm. um, 14A in Canada. You see, I would say that's, that's yeah. closer to it, because the violence aside, you're dealing with a lot of kind of grown-up issues here, and... There's also some uh, sexual overtones about some stuff, mm-hmm. especially with the ladies of Irontown. Mm. That's uh, right. Ladies of ill repute. Yeah. Who have been rescued. And I, I, from uh, their sinful ways. Mm-hmm. But so I came home with that movie. My entire family watched down. We, we watched it. Just immediately blown away. And it's, um, it's, been, it's been one of the few common links that I've shared with my family throughout that. Like my three sisters who mm. also watched it. Like um, I mentioned to you before that my sister has actually a tattoo of it on her leg. Mm. So it's like, we all love the movie. We all think it's fantastic. And uh, it opened up my eyes. Like, I love Japanese stuff today. So it's like, it's mm-hmm. had a major, major impact on my life. Oh, that's, that's really sweet. It's like a fond memory you have with, yeah. uh, with your family. So you, you've mentioned um, you're a fan of other Asian stuff. This is a Studio Ghibli film, or I believe it's Ghibli when I did my research. I'd always pronounced it Ghibli. I don't know yeah. if you know. And directed by the sort of patriarch of that studio, uh, Heio Miyazaki, who's got one of the most impressive resumes in terms of animated films, or any films in general. You know, you've got Castle in the Sky, Kiki's Delivery Service, Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle, Ponyo, and just his uh, retirement film as well, The Wind Rises, which has just come out. Uh, are, are you a fan of the studio? I definitely am. saw Ponyo for, last, for the first time last year, mm-hmm. and I was just... Again, it's kind of like... Um, it's just, first of all, all these movies, gorgeous, gorgeous animation, like mind-blowingly good. Mm-hmm. Um, if we can backtrack a little bit to the violence of it, mm-hmm. um, it's really off-putting because this is a beautiful, gorgeous movie, and then once you see someone, some violent actions, it's just really, it's a beautiful contrast, even mm-hmm. like just a gorgeous background, boom, intense violence. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, so Ponyo was really good, Howl's Moving Castle, 
of mm-hmm. top notch. I've I've not yet seen his um, retiring film, which I really want to see. Mm-hmm. But um, it's really difficult to get films out here in the the woods of Duxbury where we are recording yeah, this episode. It's, uh, it's a challenge. Yeah, you have to go quite a long way for that. It's perhaps a lazy comparison to compare them to the Pixar, but they kind of have that hit rate of like back to back hits, and they're massive films in Japan, and they've got a very strong following overseas as well. What what makes this what makes Princess Mononoke a standout? from that impressive canon you know if you're such a fan why why does this one stand out above the others um i think this one stands out above everything else actually um when i think about it they all have um they all share a common line and that is a strong female lead Mm -hmm. but uh nothing does that better than princess monoki you Mm -hmm. got three incredibly strong uh female characters with uh lady boshi Mm -hmm. princess monoki and um then the wolf goddess Mm -hmm. and it's just like um it's really cool because it's um Really different from those Western type of films where usually uh, the female is just uh, a damsel in distress character or put in the back, like um, mm-hmm. for these three women to basically control the destiny of this entire movie. Because even though Ashitaka may be our main character, I feel like the movie happens around him and he at some points doesn't play a major role. He's just mm-hmm. there when they happen. And yeah. uh, the three women, well, in one case, a wolf, yeah. um, they're the ones, you know, controlling the die, if you will. Mm hmm. And uh, I, you know, we'll, we'll speak of the character of Princess Mononuki, yeah. uh, San, as she's referred to. Uh, she's she's a terrific character. She's really cool. Mm-hmm. It's, um, she's a really different character. There's not there's not like out there's not like a lot of them out there like her. Um, I love also love their um, the love story that they have. I'm mm-hmm. talking Mononuki because it's so um, it's got a lot of undertones for it. It's never like I love you, you love me, let's get married. It's mm-hmm. just um more realistic in a way it's yeah. just more um they're both cast into a situation that they don't know anything about like um i don't know if you remember the scene where prince ashitaki says uh to monomuki that you're beautiful really yeah. she uh runs back to a wolf she's uh she's shocked mm. she's in awe that's a really cute scene really good scene mm. there's kind of they're each learning something from them you know she ashitaka is kind of embracing the ways of the forest a little bit more whereas uh San is kind of finding her her more human side after being raised by wolves for so long. I I, I find it really surprising watching a film like this. And obviously, if you look at the latest big animated phenomenon that everyone's making a fuss about is Frozen. And one of the big talking points about Frozen is you've got these two female characters and they're kind of doing it for themselves and they don't need the man to come along and save them. And they're like, yeah, this is really progressive. And then you think, well they would have been doing this. This, is, this isn't Disney being progressive. This is Disney yeah. catching up after many, many years. Yeah. If you look back, uh, Studio Ghibli have been doing this for a very long time, and I think Princess Mononuki definitely points to that, If you go, even if from 1997, but I would imagine before that as well. Yeah, because I think a lot of their movies have um, a very strong, powerful female lead mm-hmm. that um, kind of controls the, the puppet master behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So... And it's kind of cool with uh, Princess Monuki and Ashitaka um, with their love story. They both, um, like you're saying, they're both learning from each other. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like that spawns from the point that they're both just really ignorant about the world. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of ignorance. And um, Ashitaka is becoming more with one with nature, while Monuki is becoming more with uh, humanity. It's just a really interesting, really cool relationship. And I like how at the end, it's like they don't get married. There's no wedding receptions. Yeah. They don't fall. Like they kind of, um, like I would like to hope that something progresses down the line that we don't see in the movie, <laughs> but it's kind of just ends like 
oh, well, it's over, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Thanks. Thankfully, they didn't bother with a sequel. It's one of these films where <laughs> it, it, it tells its story, and uh, as much as you might love it, it's not something you necessarily want to... Yeah. You don't want to see them having marital problems you down don't. the line, or Ashitaka oh, freaking out about being a father or something like oh, that. Oh, wolf babies that need to <laughs> be raised. We don't need that. Well, that no would Game be, of Thrones. No, no, exactly. All right, well... You make you make some very good points, and you clearly very much you very much love this film. I have to say, I was very impressed by it as well. Um, I like you. I think the animation is striking, and it's absolutely fantastic. And I think looking back, even to nineteen ninety seven, and you know, we're almost well approaching twenty years later, and it still looks fresh, and it still looks it really stands the test of time. And I don't think that is necessarily something modern day animation has always kind of renders I think Pixar get it kind of right but there's a lot of kind of slapdash animation out there which is going to look pretty dated by you know even by the end of the year so it's great to see this lavish lavish world for me I, I really enjoyed the film as well clearly you did as well um, unfortunately with the hi-hat hall of fame it is not just a matter of taste and you and I liking the film is not enough to see this film go into the hi-hat hall of fame so now this is your final opportunity why does princess mononoke deserve to go into the hi-hat hall of fame be the first hi-hatter film submission uh, my first point it's got to be the score of the mm -hmm. movie um i've never been one to necessarily um think the score the music in the movie is that important until i think i watched this movie until mm -hmm. um i saw how powerful and how um how the music um, how the music pro uh, helped progress the story. Mm -hmm. I thought that was incredible, um, and it's just such a it's, so, it's something you can miss really easily. Mm -hmm. And uh, but this movie makes you notice. It makes you notice the score. It makes you um, notice how gorgeous and beautiful it is. And it just um, it complements the animation so well. Mm -hmm. um, second point, we've already talked about this, but it's just it's so beautiful that you got to talk about it again. Just the <laughs> animation. It's um, it's never. I don't, like, you could watch the movie today, you could show this to a random person that's never seen it, they might think it came out last year. Like, mm -hmm. um, it's his own very unique animation, and uh, one really th cool thing I think it deals with, which a lot of movies don't deal with at all, is the ugliness of some things. Um, like, the boars, for example, some really ugly creatures, um, some, like, difficult to look at. The men in the movie, also, most of them incredibly ugly, <laughs> and uh, just really awkward looking. And it's weird for a movie to do that on purpose, um, mm -hmm. but it did, and um, there's, it really shows that there's actually beauty and ugly. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Yep. Um, third point, definitely strong female characters. You can't you can't cast that on the table. That's important for any movie. Mm -hmm. um, just really strong characters in general throughout this entire movie. We haven't um, mentioned the monk yet. He was a really uh, interesting guy. He, I think he embodies what this movie's about just um no good or evil just people being people mm -hmm. and um he's uh, obsession with greed it's very powerful mm -hmm. fourth point gotta be the plot um it's just um that nate that progress versus nature mm -hmm. that um progress versus tradition that's just such a um very powerful thing and mm -hmm. it's like on one side yeah I, w I like having my iphone i like having all these things but um what is that coming at? What cost is that coming at? And I think this this movie showed that in a really powerful way. And it's a point that is as re relevant today as as it was back in 1997, yep. if if not more so. And it's not judgmental. This movie's not preachy in any way, too. It doesn't mm -hmm. bash you over the head with its um, ideology. It just um, 
shows you both sides of the coin and try, I think it does a fairly good job of showing uh, the pros and cons to both sides mm -hmm. because uh, for example the boars they weren't um, they were gods their nature they should be revered but they were ugly they were very aggressive very stupid very um maybe these things aren't worth preserving maybe some traditions aren't worth protecting mm -hmm. and um, I think it really shows you at the end with uh, Lady Boshi saying she's going to remake Aya Town differently that um like extremism on both sides not going to help. It's mm -hmm. just about walking that middle line, walking that tightrope, and hoping that you um, can progress, but not necessarily progress at the cost of nature. Mm -hmm. That's the definite hope. And I think those are just a few of the reasons why this movie is... Um, worthy of a place? Worthy of uh, the place. Even. <laughs> and obviously it is... Uh, gone on to influence such uh, cinematic classics as Avatar down the line yes, as well. I mean, without this, so I guess, I don't know if that's a point for or a point against it. Well, uh, we'll forget that was mentioned. We'll, <laughs> right. we'll edit that out. Okay, so let us kind of go back over it. You did a very eloquent, eloquent job of summarizing a difficult plot. I think you did that very well. Clearly, this film has a, you have a strong connection to this film which uh, also links you to your family, which is beautiful in itself and yeah. worthy of an inclusion in the Hall of Fame pretty much on that alone. Uh, and I think your, your point about the strong female characters is a really good one. Have you heard of the uh, Bechtel test? No, I have not. The Bechtel test is something in, they've devised in looking at films and it basically looks at women's roles in film. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple of rules to it, but basically is various rules it has to follow. The first is that, is there a named, one or more named female character in the film? Do they have a conversation together? And is that conversation about something that isn't one of the male characters in the film? Now, these rules, it doesn't have to, they're not like set in stone in terms of it, you know, you don't have to pass all three necessarily. But the point is, it, there is a shocking amount of films in mainstream culture which don't get anywhere near this standard and uh, you know whether or not Princess Mononoke ticks all those three boxes exactly what it does have is some very strong female characters who are motivated by different things who come from different backgrounds and I think in terms of that it's a very very strong message and the fact that Disney are only now getting patted on the back for seemingly getting that formula right is kind of ridiculous. But at any rate, it shows that Princess Mononoke is a trendsetter. It's uh, very ahead of its time, or perhaps you know other parts of the time are too too slow. If that makes any sense at all, which I don't think it does. But just to me, all right. But at any rate, um, I think for all these points, I'm very, very proud to uh, and happy to offer Princess Mononoke the first High Hatter submitted spot in the High Hat Hall of Fame, where it will sit alongside the Big Lebowski forever and ever to be looked back upon by civilizations of film lovers for many years to come. I fist bumped in there. You didn't see it though. Mm -hmm. It was great. I saw it. It was yes. wonderful. It was absolutely beautiful. All right. Well, thank you very much, uh, James, for being here on the show and for making such a compassionate case for Princess Mononoke. It's uh, always a pleasure to just sit down and chat about films with fellow film lovers. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back on the show another time, perhaps if there's another film you want to submit and we'll maybe hear from you again. Please keep uh, submitting to our facebook pages and stuff like that and it's been a real pleasure having you on thank you so much for having me I had a blast it's been a, my pleasure 
So a tip of the hi-hat to you, sir, and indeed to the good people at Studio Ghibli for making Princess Mononoke the second film submitted to the Hi-Hat Hall of Fame. about wraps it up for this week's edition of the Hi-Hat Film Podcast. Like a great and powerful Time Lord, we have respawned and regenerated into a different form, but we're still committed to bringing you a comical and critical look at the world of film. And if you want to get involved in the discussion and submit a film for consideration into the Hi-Hat Film Podcast, then feel free to do just that. Uh, the best way to go about doing that is by joining our Facebook page and giving us a little like on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash hi-hat film review you can also follow me on twitter at clancy hi-hat and you can put your suggestions forward for a film in the hi-hat film hall of fame for that as well and to keep up to date with our latest reviews and different submissions that we make here go to hihatfilmreview.tumblr.com for a lot of written reviews if you want to give your eyes a bit of film pleasure along with your ears and of course don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and if you do feel so inclined leave us a nice little positive review as well this always looks good to go alongside there and help bump us up those film charts where we're going up against the big boys but that's just about it big big thanks to James Tarrant very very pleased to have him in to chat about Princess Mononoke and very delighted to put it in as the first hi-hatter submitted film into the hi-hat hall of fame well that's about it for me this week thanks very much for listening and I'll see you again very very soon we I heard what you were saying. You, you know nothing of my work. You mean my whole fallacy is wrong. How you ever got to teach a course in anything is totally amazing. Boy, if life were only like this.